Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Thanks to Isaac and the team for leading us in worship. Um, if you are with us for the first time tonight, welcome to you. Um, trust that you were blessed by the worship. Trust that you will now be blessed by God's word. Uh, those joining with us online, welcome to you as well. Uh, we do miss you if you haven't been with us for a while. I mean, if you haven't been to an evening service, we would love to see you sometime. So won't you consider visiting us at some point, even during this mini-series. Tonight we'll be trying to answer the question, who are the enemies of God? Who are the enemies of God? Now, as I was preparing, I remembered a story growing up. Growing up, I wasn't much of a fighter, um, but I would occasionally get into a fight when I got drunk by testosterone with a dash of adrenaline. I remember one specific occasion where we used to go early to school so that we could copy off each other's homework so we were ready for class. Now, when we got to the class, whoever did their homework would bring the book before us, and everyone would just come around and copy from this person's homework, of course, trying to get one thing wrong or another thing wrong, um, so, so that at least we have something to present during class. Now, these mornings were filled with adrenaline and a rush. Adrenaline was pumping. The bell is about to ring. I need to get this done, and I can't get caught. Now, if there are teenagers in the room who are still in high school or children, this is not an advised way of going about doing school, all right? Um, don't do this. Disclaimer, this, I am not advocating for this. But anyway, once this homework drive, so on this specific morning during this homework drive, there was a lot of commotion. Uh, we had a lot of people who deemed themselves class clowns, but I remember one who was pressing the buttons of those who were scrambling to get the homework done. He was jumping on tables, he was pushing chairs, he was making silly jokes. And in all of this, he managed to push me to the point where I got my, I uh, wrote from the corner of my math book all the way down to the end, literally just scraping everything that I've just spent the last 20 minutes writing. I got up in anger, I put my hand on his throat, I rushed him to the wall, I pinned him to the wall full of wrath, then I dropped him threatening him with possible death. I went back to writing my homework, and then the bell went. Now, during a registration, you can imagine what everyone was talking about. Everyone was talking about, yo, did you see what Jabu did to that guy? But by this point, my anger had died out, and the reality of a possible fight was now plaguing my mind. <laughs> Rumor had it that this gentleman was waiting to get back at me with a fight of his own. He was going around telling people, don't worry, after school is after school. <laughs> so the whole day I'm going about my business with the reality of a fight hanging over my head. Adrenaline is down, now my heart is pumping. I could get beat up today. I was told, I was told by all my friends and even by one of the teachers, be careful, this man is going to give you a beat down. Now I had three options. I could, in my pride, retaliate and set up for the fight of the century. 
Or number two, I could go and apologize to him. But there's a third option. Third option is I could simply make a run for it after school. What did I do? (laughs) I will leave that for you to answer. (laughs) Tonight, (laughs) Tonight we start a short series from the book of Abadiah. It is a prophecy written to the Edomites who also had judgment looming over their heads. The judgment of God was surely coming their way. As they went about their business, God was preparing judgment for this nation. In fact, this book comes as a headline article for God's coming wrath to the nation that opposed God. Now, if you, if you can turn with me to Obadiah, and there's only one chapter in the book. Um, I won't do what Mark does because these are minor prophets. But you can go to Jonah. If you find Jonah, there's Obadiah. If you find Omis, there's Obadiah. If you can't find either, start from Matthew and page backwards. <laughs> Obadiah chapter 1 and verse 1. Verse 1 reads, The, vis- the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves come to you, if plunderers come by night, how, oh, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has sorry, how Esau has pillaged his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to the border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be destroyed. O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. So God, even as we start this series in the book of Obadiah, pray, Father, that tonight you'd speak through me. God, I understand that if your spirit doesn't work in our midst, God, if your spirit doesn't speak through me, Lord, all that I'm doing would be in vain. But God, I am grateful for your spirit who tabernacles in the hearts of believers. It is your spirit who helps us to understand your word. It is your spirit that has gifted me with the ability to preach your word. So we pray that tonight your spirit would be at work. Lord, I pray that your word would cut at our hearts, cut at mine first as the double-edged sword that it is, and also cut the ears or the hearts of the hearers. God, I pray that in all that we do during the preaching and the reception of your word, may you receive all glory due to your name. Lord, protect me from error, prevent me from saying anything, Lord, that goes against your truth. And God, I pray that, Lord, tonight we would have people leave here, Lord, seeking to be more and more like Christ. For this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
So Obadiah is one of the minor prophets. Um, now, it, we have to clarify that it's not minor in terms of importance or value, but it's minor in terms of the size of the book. If you compared Obadiah and the other minor prophets to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or Daniel, you'll notice that they are all bigger in size compared to Obadiah and the, minor, the other minor prophets. Obadiah is the shorter of the other minor prophets, um, and it was written to address a nation that opposed God. God, God opposes those who oppose his people. Again, actions against God's people are actions against God. And even if you remember the words of Christ to Saul, 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 why have you persecuted me? This is true of the Edomites. The Edomites were a people who persecuted God's people and therefore God would persecute them. So my first point tonight is really the prelude. We see this in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. Now the jury is out on who Obadiah was. He could have been one of 13 Obadiahs in the Old Testament. His name really means worshiper of Yahweh or servant of Yahweh. But his message was clear. What makes this book special is that it was not written to God's people, the Jews, but it was written specifically to the Edomites, a nation that was an enemy to God and a nation that would be judged by God. Now, who were the Edomites? The Edomites were descendants of Esau, if you remember from Sunday school. Esau was Jacob's twin who was born to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, Jacob and Esau fought from birth, like literally. They fought in the womb. They sought to already start this fight or this sibling rivalry. If you think you have it bad with your sibling, this is where it gets really bad. But we have to go to Genesis chapter 25 to get a bit of the context of who the Edomites were. So if you can turn there, because we'll spend a bit of time in Genesis 25. Genesis 25 and verse 21. Genesis 25 and verse 21. Verse 21 reads, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, verse 23. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in the womb. The first came out red, all of his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when, when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. I mean, this was doomed from the start. 
They were literally kicking at each other in the womb. You know that cute moment where the husband holds the wife's tummy and there's a kick? This was a violent kick amongst brothers. It seemed that Jacob even tried to stop Esau from leaving the womb by grabbing his heel. Not just that. There was also favoritism amongst the parents. We see the mom loves one and the dad loves the other. Look, I'm no chef, but this was a recipe for disaster. We have to consider again, verse 29, in the same chapter. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom, from where the Edomites come from. Jacob, in verse 31, said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Verse 33, Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. What we see in this portion is that Esau put his temporal needs before God's eternal covenant. The birthright meant that God would continue from Esau's seed, the lineage of Abraham with whom God made this covenant. He will make him a great nation. He will bless him. He will make his name great. So he will, he will be a blessing. He will bless those who bless him and he will dishonor And he who dishonors him, God will curse, and in him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If Esau just believed God, he would have faith that if God had made this covenant with his father, he would not let him die from hunger before he has kept his word. But Esau chose lentil stew. No offense to my stew lovers. But he chose lentil stew over his birthright and all the promises that came with it. How often do we choose our temporal needs over God's eternal decrees? How often do we seek temporal and immediate satisfaction over the everlasting and enduring promises of God for all who are righteous? How often do we allow moments of pleasure to come before God's eternal moments of contentment? Because of this decision from Esau, God would reject him. Romans 9.13, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And Esau, we know, would then be a thorn to the nation Israel. The descendants of Esau and Jacob would never get along. Edom, made up of Esau's offering, was particularly embittered towards Israel and Judah. The people descended from Jacob. The Israelites were on their journey to Egypt from Canaan when when the Edomites would not let them pass through their territory. They had to go and plead from the king, won't you let us pass through the king's highway? They strongly refused the nation's appeal to pass through, and this is what they said. They said, you shall not pass through, lest I come out with the sword against you. But he said, you shall not pass through, and Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. It is clear that these siblings are not inviting each other to brides or to weddings. But this rivalry was predicted by God whilst the two were still in their mother's womb. The truth is of this rivalry, 
that Jacob, although he was cunning and scheming, was chosen by God. He had faith in God. He had the fear of the Lord. So from this we get this prophecy given by God to Obadiah, to Edom, and the answer to the question posed in the beginning of the sermon, who are the enemies of God? This is actually my first point. It is the proud. The proud are the enemies of God. We see in verse 1 of Obadiah, if you can just flip back there, we have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has come, sent among the nations, rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations, you shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the cliffs of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground. Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Did you pick up the symbols that are given there by God regarding the pride of this nation? Verse 3, it says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. In your lofty dwelling, though you soar aloft. In verse 4, it says, though your nest is set among the stars. Did you get it? This was a boastful nation filled with big egos. Tim Chalice wrote this, Haughty eyes are an arrogant man's window to the world. From the lofty perch of his own superiority, he uses them to look down upon others. From his self-made pedestal, he fancies he can see with greater clarity than his creator. Proverbs 16 verse 5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in his heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured He will not go unpunished. The truth we see throughout Scripture is God hates pride. God hates arrogance for they stem from a heart's disposition of independence from God and an attitude that, hey, I can decide what is good and what is evil. This was the sin of Satan. This was the sin of Adam and Eve. And this is the sin of you and me. C.S. Lewis wrote, According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Canality, debauchery, anger, greed, drunkenness, all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Friends, not only is pride dangerous, but pride is deceptive. The Edomites are not as great as they thought they were. They were actually a small nation. Their greatest strength was only in their location. They lived in the cliffs of the rock, so the highway was almost like in a valley or in a canyon. So they had a great vantage point to see the attack coming and to launch a counterattack. They could also hurt their opponents because they often had a bird's eye view. But even with all of this, they didn't even have the manpower. They didn't have strong armies to fight against the kings who were actually seeking to build empires. They were nothing compared to Babylon. They were nothing compared to the Assyrians. They were actually a small nation with big egos. They were deceived by their pride. Edom has not attacked a stranger. But they had attacked and oppressed their own brother Israel. 
the Edomites, who were brothers to the nation Israel, and yet they attacked them with no shame. Not only did they attack them, but they partnered with those who pursued to plunder the nation. They didn't just sit back and watch from their lofty positions, but they actually joined in on the attack of the nation Israel. They gloated at the need of the nation Israel. Like what's happening in KZN with the looting. They found opportunity in a time of crisis to take advantage of those who were in need. They were like hyenas who scavenge over the prey of lions. And because of this, this was a nation that God would completely annihilate. This was a nation that God would exterminate because of their unrepented sin of pride. God says through the prophet in verse 2, I will make you small. Among the nations, you shall be utterly despised. In verse 4, he says, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Like God sent Satan crashing onto the earth like a bolt of lightning, he would humble the Edomites. He will also humble the proud and the arrogant among us. Be warned. Consider verses 5 to 9. If thieves come to you, came to you, if plunderers came by night, how, have, how you have been destroyed? Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has pillaged his treasures sought out. All your allies have, all your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be destroyed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. God's judgment of the Edomites would be far worse than anything they've ever experienced. The illustration he uses here is one that we know very well in South Africa. He used the illustration of crime. He says when thieves come in and steal, they usually stop when they have all that they need. But the judgment coming to the Edomites would be complete. Because they lived in the cliffs of the rock, they made a lot of allies because people would have to pass through and strike a deal with them. They would deceive they would be deceived, they would be double-crossed, and they would even be destroyed by these very allies that they have made because God would judge them by their friends. In their humiliation, God would bring low those who thought they were wise, those who thought they were strong. In fact, all who oppose God in their pride will be brought low by the mighty hand of God. So what is the message for us tonight? The message for us tonight is, all who are proud will be punished by God. All who claim to be believers cannot synonymously say that I am a believer and yet I am arrogant and, prou and proud for the two cannot coexist. The truth is judgment is coming and the proud and the arrogant will be judged. So then what is the prescription? This is my final point as I close, the prescription. Micah 6 verse 8, he has told you, O men, what is good, 
And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Matthew 23, verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 1 Peter 5, verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. James 4, verse 6, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There is the truth throughout Scripture that though it may seem that those on the earth cannot bring you down from your pedestal of pride, God himself will pull you off that pedestal and bring you low. God calls us as believers to be humble. The humble person avoids false humility and blatant egotistic behavior. I love the words of a clergyman called Robert Burton. He gave us this warning concerning false humility and he says, They are proud in humility, proud in that they are not proud. The insidious nature of pride is that it can masquerade as humility and creep into the lowliest of hearts. A.W. Tozer described the kind of Christians the Lord longs for us to be. God longs that we are men and women who have stopped being fooled about their own strength and are not afraid of being caught depending on their all-sufficient Lord. So remember Esau. He sought temporary, temporal relief over eternal rest. The Edomites, they sought security in the temporal things of this age. And today, they are but a blob in human history. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, God has wiped out this nation in judgment. What about you? Do you fear God? Do you trust God at his word? Do you find God as your ultimate satisfaction, as your bread of life, as your living water, as your rock, your rock and your fortress? Church, the truth is you will be taunted. You will be tormented. You will be trampled on by sinful men and women with their sinful intentions. They will be in lofty positions, able to provide help for you in your time of need. But instead of serving you water, they will serve you vinegar. The world is not your friend. It is a foe. They live to gratify the desires of their flesh in opposition to God. So we cannot trust the world, but we can trust in Christ. So as you rest, rest in Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Church, there is a better way for us to live than to live humbly before the Almighty God. May we be committed like the Apostle Paul, who said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Lord, pride is a natural temptation to us as sinful beings. It destroys us slowly like a poison and 
we often miss it or misdiagnose it in our own justification. Tonight, Lord, we seek that we are not proud. Lord, tonight we, we saw from your word that those who are proud are enemies of yours. They make an attempt for your throne like the devil. They seek to be independent of you. Lord, they will be punished by you. Lord, you will bring low the wise in their own eyes. The proud and the arrogant will be punished. So, Lord, protect us from pride. Lord, help us to have the mind of Christ. Help us to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Teach us that humility is a gift from your spirit that we need to faithfully cultivate. So, Lord, in our moments of pride, Lord, I pray that you would convict us by your spirit. Humble us, draw us to yourself. That, God, we would exemplify Christ as we walk on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.